Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the science behind taking your shirt off during a fight. Tonight's episode will be covering the first half of the 23rd Tenkaichi Budokai arc, otherwise known as the 23rd World Martial Arts Tournament, or other otherwise known as the Piccolo Junior arc if you're a dub scrub like me. So finish your one-finger push-ups and grab your favorite 10,000-calorie meal because the world's biggest martial arts tournament is coming up. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And the Heavenly Training Arc has set the stakes with the advent of King Piccolo Jr. as we prepare to see the fruits of all the training our heroes have gone through. Will Piccolo Jr. complete his quest for revenge? Will Goku's training be enough to save the day? Will Krillin actually get any taller? We'll be diving into all of this on tonight's episode. But before we get started, was there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think this one's pretty quick and easy to jump into. I just want to get to the fight. All right. Well, we have episode 133 kicking things off with, which is the reunion before the storm. And right away, we're getting a time jump here. Everything's moving forward by three whole years. Yeah. So the previous arc, the heavenly training arc, gave us a little bit of a taste of what our protagonists were doing during this three years. And it was just that training as they all worked to get stronger for the world martial arts tournament. And the start of this episode kind of reintroduces us to master Roshi and launch as they reunite with Oolong and Poir and finally Balma showing up on the scene. Yeah. And with everyone kind of arriving on site, this is something that we've seen at the other tournaments, right? This is kind of an age old thing where everyone's showing up to sign up. And I do like that. We're kind of getting those throwbacks like that. And we're, we're doing things kind of the way that they've always been done at the tournament. Like it's kind of a, it's kind of a ritual at this point. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun. It's, most of the characters here don't look like they've changed much. I think Balma, they make a bit of a big deal out of her because the most of the time that we followed Balma up to this point, she's been more like a, she's been a teenager, right? She's, I mean, an older teenager, but still a little bit of a kid. Uh, and at this point, they kind of present her to us as if she's, she's an adult. She's a woman. I, I think they kind of give her a different, hairdo they show her with like lipstick and earrings to try and push that home that she's gotten older and more mature yeah and it's it's cool seeing her kind of grow up a little bit and as the other heroes start arriving on site we get to see a little bit more of that right and so they've spent the last three years kind of training on their own finding their own paths and so everyone's kind of re-meeting each other right now kind of seeing where everyone is and after we see Bulma, we get to see Goku actually showing up on site. And rather than being the, I don't know, three and a half foot tall teenager child that he was, he's now a fully grown looking adult man who's probably six foot tall or taller. He's a big boy. So, And I want to talk about the way that Toriyama and Toy Animation go about presenting this because it's, it, it, I think especially to our 
characters who are present in the scene, Balma, Roshi, and everybody else, this is a this is delivered as a surprise to them. Uh, the audience gets little hints that this person being shown to us is Goku, uh, especially if you haven't watched anything other than the original Dragon Ball. You might not know that it's him immediately. The only little detail that you get to hint that it's him is the power pole that's strapped to his back because otherwise he's wearing an entirely different outfit than we've ever seen him wear with kind of like a blue robe, yellow pants and boots. And he even has, I don't know if it would be considered a turban. He's got fabric wrapped around his head that covers his hair and you don't get to see his iconic hairdo. And it's, I actually think it's great because he's wearing the garb of his, of his current master. He's dressed up like, like Mr. Popo. He's got the same turban on. He's got the similar style of clothes on. And so just like we've seen with his previous masters, he kind of reflects who he's training under. And so I think it's actually a great little detail. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point too. And with him kind of dressed in this attire uh, representing his current master, Goku, I, I mean, the Balma and the others don't even recognize him. They're like, who is this person who's talking to us? And then he takes off his wrap around his hair and they're like, oh, oh, you were like three feet tall the last time we saw you. And now you're like six feet tall. Uh, and the other thing here that's interesting to me, too, is the the dynamic, like the the feeling of kid Goku, who is just innocent, silly, very ignorant to the world there's a little bit of that that is gone with adult goku or i guess teenager goku here um but he's he's still kind of like the fun loving goku but it doesn't feel like the same dynamic with him and the other characters yeah it's it's a little less goofy right like he does make a comment towards balma about how he thinks her lips are bleeding because she has lipstick on so it's that same you know Goku's oblivious, but at the same time, Goku's been training on an island, you know, a thousand miles in the sky or whatever. So he hasn't really seen other, really anybody other than Popo and Kami for three years and compound that with the fact that when he was growing up for the first however many years of his life, he was in a mountain village by himself. So it's, it makes sense. Goku is socially awkward. But he's not as goofy, though. So you get good elements of both sides of showing his maturity and age. But he's still a mountain man living on an island in the sky. <laughs> yeah, which is it's fun. It's good character growth and progression. And we eventually get to see the rest of our group show up very last minute to sign up for the tournament in Tien, Krillin, Chiaotzu and Yamcha and they too have new outfits and look like they've certainly gone through an ordeal over these past three years yeah ever everyone just kind of looks a little bit older except for Chiaotzu I can't tell a difference with that guy but Tien just looks a little you know just a little wiser a little bit you know less youthful I don't know how to describe it but his lines are a little bit more harder than they were before um, Yamcha's hair is longer his chin lines a little broader i guess it's just all these little subtle details that really tell you that these characters have grown right and speaking of growing krillin he's hit his maximum height <laughs> yeah that sweet 
three inch growth spurt that he went through. <laughs> <laughs> it's much better than what it was before. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's funny because when Krillin and Goku meet, Krillin even makes a comment about how he's surprised how tall Goku was and how he figured he would always be the tall one. Yeah, this is a pretty good comment because Goku completely outshines him in the height department at this moment. And a lot of the characters, too. I mean, many of the characters in Dragon Ball are animated similarly, but many of them are expressing how handsome Goku is, which is kind of fun. We do also get a scene where where Krillin actually gives Goku like a big heartfelt hug, thanking him for bringing him back to life. And it was, it was one of those things where you forget that Krillin hasn't really seen Goku since that happened, right? And so it's kind of a big deal. It's a big reunion. As far as I think Krillin is concerned, Goku's almost like a brother to him. I love this too. And and I'm glad you brought that up because up until seeing them meet here, I had almost forgotten that they hadn't seen each other since Goku had beaten King Piccolo and helped facilitate the resurrection of Krillin. So if not for Goku, Krillin wouldn't even be here. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a little little attention to detail that I really appreciated. And, you know, it's it's also building relationships between these characters, because sometimes Dragon Ball, I feel, really struggles to show that connection or emotion between characters. So when, when it does happen, I like to point it out. Oh, yeah, I I definitely agree. I, I was glad that they put that in there. It was a really tender moment and it, it definitely stuck out like you said in dragon ball where moments like that are few and far between um, but i think we kind of move forward as our protagonists get ready for the tournament and kind of make their way to a, a hotel where they can sleep for the night uh kind of getting caught up um you can tell there's definitely going to be some some reveals as far as their training is concerned. They all have a different air about them, uh, but we kind of shift our focus away from the Z fighters here. And it moves over to a scene in the city where lightning strikes a clock and nearly crushes a woman and her son beneath stone, but somebody steps in to intervene. Okay, so I'm really, I've got mixed feelings about this because the person who steps in is King Piccolo Jr., who saves this child, which seems really out of place for what we know about Piccolo. And after saving them, he kind of brushes them off and like stomps on their stuff and then leaves to go stare through Goku's window while he sleeps. I don't know, man. I'm getting mixed vibes from this guy. I have so many mixed feelings about this scene because I I agree with you and like your your initial response to it. I don't understand why Piccolo in this moment would save this woman and this child. I like you said, he kind of blows them off after the fact. Uh, he we know that he kind of has this mindset of King Piccolo where he just kind of wants to defeat Goku and take over the world and he doesn't care about people or humans and he's just kind of an evil bad guy but I I almost wonder if this is just like a, a brief little hint 
into his psyche and into the future that is going to be Piccolo and his kind of redemption arc. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of is that maybe this Piccolo is not wholly evil, right? That's the only direction I can see it going. But at this point, all we know is that Piccolo is a little creepy, saves kids, but also doesn't like kids. Yeah, it's weird, but it also introduces us to adult Piccolo Jr. or whatever a three-year-old Piccolo Jr. at this point would be. I mean, he's aged pretty quick. He he looks like an adult to me. Yeah, Um, and he, I mean, he's the spitting image of King Piccolo. Uh, He looks, he's got like a younger looking face, uh, but for anybody who's seen Dragon Ball Z, it's that same character design with the big white shoulder pads, the sort of white and purple turban, the purple gi. Uh, he's he's kind of a striking, intimidating figure at his probably close to seven foot height. Yeah. And so we've kind of got all the characters kind of corralled and introduced and we take all of them and we move on to the next scene where it's Yamcha, Tien and Krillin actually donning their their classic orange geese that Master Roshi had them all training in, right? And so we kind of get all of them independently putting on the 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 same training symbol. And Goku actually does the same thing. He's got that traditional gi, right? But there is one little detail here with Goku that I thought was just it was a casual comment but I wish they would have dove more into it because he just mentions that his tail was removed so the moon could be restored. Huh. I I wrote this down in my notes too because I want to know where Dayton and I right now are watching the dubbed version of Dragon Ball. I want to know if this is a dubism or not. I I'm not sure, but I mean I guess the justification here could be that maybe Kami said, hey, I can restore the moon, but I don't want to do it if you have your tail because I know you're going to turn into an uncontrollable monster and kill a bunch of people. Uh, so, I mean, much like he restored the the Dragon Balls, even though he knew, well, he wasn't going to because he thought people were using them for ill intent, uh, but mm-hmm. Goku changed his mind. Um, so I, I feel like it could be a situation like that. And it does at least give us a reason for why the moon exists again in Dragon Ball Z with all of the monkey transformations there. Yeah. And I mean, it's it feels like a dubism, So that's why I also had to bring it up. But I'm not sure about it. But I mean, hey, that's a cool casual thing to just drop with the homies during right before a big match. Right. It's weird. It feels weird. But at least we've got a reason behind him not having a tail, I guess. But the the last thing that happens before the end of this episode is we get to see Piccolo Jr. arriving at the tournament, and there's kind of some locking eyes happening and staring, but it's kind of the, the last little reveal before this episode comes to an end. Yeah, I think that pretty much takes us right into the next episode. Which is episode 134, Troubles at the Tenkaichi Budokai. And we see Tian and Chaozu kind of catching on to what's happening. They think it's one of 
uh, Piccolo's minions that survived and, you know, they're kind of telepathically kind of talking to each other and they ask Goku and Goku just tells them not to tell the others. This is so weird to me. That is obviously a Piccolo. Why wouldn't you guys just be like, hey, this dude's here to kill us. Be on your guard. Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit weird. It feels kind of like Goku's trying not to alarm people or scare people. Uh, I, I mean, and then there's also the fact that Goku almost certainly wants to fight this guy and maybe wants to do it in the tournament specifically. Mm. And so with all of that in mind, I feel like it's Goku trying to like, Hey, keep it down. We don't want any problems. We just want to fight in the tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I sort of get it. But at the same time, it's, I mean, gosh, it's, it's freaking Piccolo. It looks just like him. It just really, and the fact that Krillin and um, Yamcha were just like, oh, who's that weird guy? Why are you guys looking at him? It's like, how many weird guys that look like that have you seen? Like, come on, let's, I don't know. That, that one was a little bit too far out there for me to believe. I I can definitely feel you on that one. I mean, he's this is a stretch, but <laughs> kind of like a, a Clark Kent sort of thing. Piccolo is wearing the turban, so you can't see his antenna. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. So <laughs> you got me there. But anyway, um, it's it's not a big deal, but it just bothered me a little bit. Um, but yeah, we get um, we do get for anyone who's seen beyond this any other Dragon Ball series, um, a pretty obvious recognizable woman arrive on scene that Goku does not recognize. And this woman is very upset with Goku very, and, and Goku can't figure out why. And it's kind of hilarious going back and rewatching this. And it actually puts a lot of things into context, different jokes with like a bridge and stuff like that. And even that Dragon Ball legend that we had reviewed, some of that stuff just all sort of makes sense now. I'm like, oh, this is how they, okay. <laughs> yeah, for for anybody who is unaware or doesn't remember, this is kind of Dayton's first foray into the original Dragon Ball as a whole. Uh, and so this is kind of connecting some of the, the pieces and the fiber of these relationships that is Goku and Chi-Chi's uh, marriage later on spoilers um but this is how it all started (laughs) i mean it's pretty funny and it's you know watching goku not recognize his future wife is it's pretty funny in like a hindsight perspective actually i think if i was watching it the first time i might have recognized her myself so i think i probably would have found it pretty funny too yeah i mean I don't know. She's she's got a very different character design than her child self, but it's it's got similarities and connecting points. So we do also see another character that's uh, that we should recognize that's participating this year. And it's Nacho Libre Yajirobe is what I have here. <laughs> that mask, man. <laughs> <laughs> He looks like he's a luchador getting ready for a match. Yes. So he's in full disguise. So none of the other fighters are aware that Yajirobe's entering this year, but he is at the tournament and that's, that's going to matter a little later. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but we kind of move into the preliminaries as 
we see Goku step into the ring and we get to see another familiar face. This one a little bit less, uh, I guess, less well known, but it is King Choppa, who was the opponent in the preliminaries for a younger Goku and King Choppa wants revenge yeah he's got a chip on his shoulder and that chip has goku's name on it and we get i mean king choppa wasn't exactly a pushover the last time they had fought but um i'm gonna go ahead and just say it this time around goku's a whole different animal and this fight is as over as quick as it started king choppa is pretty much dispatched instantly i mean dragon ball is frequently using other characters as measuring sticks. Uh, we've talked about it here before. King Choppa is a great one in this instance, because like you said, Dayton, he wasn't 100% a pushover in the last fight with Goku. He wasn't a match for Goku either. But in this instance, Goku just stands there and stares him down with no defense whatsoever. And as soon as King Choppa attacks, Goku vanishes, appears behind King Choppa, chops him in the neck, done. Yeah, so the fight is wrapped up. There's no posturing. There's no artificial drama. Thank you, Dragon Ball. I appreciate it. We got the measuring stick in there, and we're moving on. And this kind of happens with all of our heroes. And we get to go through, and we get to see Tien and Yamcha just kind of dispatching their opponents easily, just like Goku. But there's an exception this year, and that is Chaozu, who is actually defeated by his opponent. And we kind of get this big reveal that Chaozu's opponent was Mercenary Tao. And that's somebody who I did not expect to see at all at this point. Like, I thought he was long gone. I totally forgot about this uh, and so it was a bit of a surprise for me too even having watched dragon ball but this is a fun one actually it's interesting to see tau back he's no longer human entirely he describes himself at least in the dub as a cyborg you can tell he's got almost like these goggle-like eyes and a metal head uh, and so he says he's here for revenge against both Goku and Tien, because for those who don't remember, Tien was actually a student of Mercenary Tao in the Crane School, and Tien has since, in Tao's mind, forsaken the Crane School and has moved on to the Turtle School. Yeah, and it's... I mean, it's actually really interesting because at first I thought that maybe Tao got brought back from the wish that they had made or something. Like, I was trying to wrap my head around it. And they eventually reveal that they just had lots of money. And so you can just buy your way back into the game. I mean, this is kind of like, uh, if we jump way forward, this is kind of like a Frieza reference, right? Uh, not a reference, but... Uh, it's very similar to when Frieza came back after getting blown up by a key blast by Goku. Um, Tao came back the same sort of way with robot body. It, it, it's pretty fun. They, there's, I mean, this precedent was set very early at this point. So, and I don't mind it. It's a cool face to see. Um, 
yeah, so I'm here for it. But we we have Chaozu out of the fight. We have Mercenary Tao moving on. And that more or less wraps up that episode, which brings us into episode 135, The Eight Chosen People. And my notes are a little sparse here. Um, it's mostly just the preliminary matches continuing. Um, we get to see Piccolo and Tao just absolutely brutalizing every opponent they come across. Like it's killing someone's illegal, but getting them very close to death, 100% legal. You can do that. Yeah, this is seeing the other side of Piccolo after having saved a couple of humans. He's borderline maiming slash killing people. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's pretty fun. And it's, I mean, part and parcel to their characters. So it's, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And as the preliminaries continue, we get to see Yajirobe participate in a match against what seems like a middle-aged man with, I mean, he's slim. He's got glasses. He looks like uh, he looks like he should be filing somebody's taxes or something. Uh, but this old man manages to trip in the fight against Yajirobe. And then as he gets back up, headbutts Yajirobe in the chin, knocking him clean out of the fighting ring. And this old man knocks Yajirobe out of the tournament. Yeah. And when I saw this, I... You know, I scratched my head. I've seen Goku and Yajirobe get into headbutting contests. It takes a lot to put Yajirobe on his butt. And on top of that, this old man's defeated multiple opponents at this point, right? Like, this wasn't their first matchup. I don't know. Is it a bumbling idiot or is this somebody putting on a show? It was got got my brain thinking a little bit, but it's also Yajirobe. So I'm, I'm only going to give him so much credit. He could be defeated like that. Yeah, Yajirobe's strong, but this old man seems like he's stronger, but something seems a little bit off about him. But the preliminaries kind of continue as we round things out, getting our eight semifinalists, and the list looks like Tien, Mercenary Tao, Goku, Anonymous, which seems to be this woman that we've been seeing around krillin piccolo jr who is calling himself ma jr and yamcha and then the last one is either shen or hero i think depending on the version of the show that you're watching um but i think they do they call him hero in the dub is that right in the dub i've got they call him hero Okay, then yeah, I think in the Japanese, I think they call him Shen, but we're going to be calling him Hero. Yes, and yeah, so we have all of our pairings for the uh, the quarterfinals, and we get a couple kind of neat scenes after this where we get some catching up between Yamcha, Krillin, and Goku, where Goku goes to offer them sensu beans to make sure that they're full for the fights, and they all pull out their own sensu beans, and it's revealed that they've all been to Korin's Tower, so that's kind of a, I don't know, a neat... I guess, storyline that they've all been a part of together, right? It's it's another level of camaraderie. It's a nice organic way to reveal that they went to Corrin's as well. I kind of like the way that they went about it. And we also get a nice little tie back to the previous arc where they run into the tournament announcer who now has a fine mustache. Ooh. And he sees Krillin and says... He, he thinks that Krillin is a ghost. He's like, I saw you dead on the ground of this very arena. 
Well, don't worry. Carlin just says, well, I got better. <laughs> uh, that, you know, I'm glad the tournament announcer has gone through just with Dragon Ball for so many years because he's been there since the beginning and he knows all these characters, right? Like he's kind of he's in the know. I love the tournament announcer, man. He, he's he sticks with this group for so long throughout all these tournaments. I absolutely love him. <laughs> but yeah, we're we've done some catching up. We've got some throwbacks and we have the I believe these are the quarterfinals that are about to start. And Tian Shinhan and Mercenary Tao are the first matchup. And I love that they're settling this grudge match right off the bat. I like this a lot, too. There's one little scene in here that I wanted to talk about briefly where Master Shen uh, is coming up to Master Roshi to basically just talk trash like, oh, Tao is going to beat the snot out of all of your students. And the reason I like this is because of some of the dialogue here. As Master Roshi responds with with Shen talking about his students and them wearing his colors, he's like, these young fighters chose to honor the turtle school, but they do not serve it. They have surpassed my training and are now independent fighters. And it's also fun here as a point of Goku's character development because Roshi, Krillin, and Yamcha all choose to engage with the trash chalk with Master Shen of the Crane School, but Goku does not and even stops them from doing so. So this really kind of shows Goku's, Goku's growth and maturity that we haven't yet seen. And it's uh, this is just a fun character beat for me. I really, really like this a lot. It is kind of neat. And I, I do like the comments from Master Roshi, but it's also this is kind of the I guess the 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 students kind of becoming adults, the kids kind of growing up. It's kind of the official, you know, they're not kids anymore. And it really puts it into words where we've kind of seen it. But hearing Master Roshi say it is kind of a different beast because he's I mean, at this point, he probably would even admit that most of his students are probably more powerful than he is at this point. Yeah, I think there is a, a moment where he actually does say that in this arc even. But I think that mostly covers that episode, which kind of moves us into... Episode 136, the Hitman Tao Pai Pai's counterattack? Yeah, I love that Tao Pai Pai. Um, <laughs> so episode 136, we have Tian and Mercenary Tao kind of locked in a stare down as they enter the ring. And we get this kind of interesting moment where Mercenary Tao, he's been talking just all sorts of smack, telling Tian that he's going to lose and it's okay. He won't kill him yet. And as soon as like they're allowed to fight, the match is allowed to begin. Tao realizes that Tian's defense is perfect and there's no avenue of attack that he can take. And so the stare down sort of just continues for, I believe they say 10 minutes as they kind of sit there and figure the, each other out, which I don't, I think it's super fun just hearing him say that. And it also, this is another measuring stick, right? This is to show Tien's progress against mercenary Tao. Oh yeah. Even to push that beat home, Yamcha says they're, they're in a stalemate. Tien can't move. And Goku responds with, 
it's Tao who can't move. So again, we're, I mean, Goku has, has shown in while watching other fights that he can see things that other people can't, but here he's being so confident and putting all of that into words uh, without, he's just being very clear about the intent and showing his growth as a martial artist. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like Goku sat there and figured it out. It's just Goku is so well-trained at this point that he can just see these things. It's, you know, it's like pointing at, you know, the water and saying that's blue. That's what Goku's seeing right here. So he's got a whole different set of, of skills or, or what he can read than, than what everyone else has. He's watching a completely different, different fight. Yeah, this is, this is cool. I like seeing this, this side of Goku and the the fight between Tien and Tao kind of almost initiates for the first time as Tao dives in at Tien. Uh, Tien, I mean, easily dodges the attacks. Um, Tao's flying kick basically easily gets knocked back. And then Tien kind of asks Tao to stop uh say he's basically expressing like hey you know i don't want to hurt you but i i feel like i'm i'm the superior fighter here like we don't have to do this you can just give up yeah and we see tn even says that he's willing to forgive tao for what he did to chaozu and more or less kind of call everything even he's actually being i guess you could say the bigger man right now right like he's he's showing forgiveness he's really kind of emphasizing the opposite of the crane school, uh, the crane school training. And we see that with Tao's response where he mistakens Tian's kindness for weakness. And he says as much in words. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. There's even a moment in here. Uh, we might've skipped past it, but where the Master Shen uh, is talking into Tian's mind again, talking trash and saying like Tao's going to murder you and put you in the ground. And Tao uses that opportunity to attack Tian when he seems distracted. So, I mean, all of this is just showing it's giving us this narrative of the crane school being dirty and underhanded, which is what Tien was a part of. And he himself acted in that way. But this is a new Tien. This is a Tien who's kind of rising above that and who has a new moral compass that's kind of leading him in a much better direction. And this Tien is far superior to Tao Pai Pai in a fight. Yeah, as as. Tao goes on the attack. Tien just easily avoids all of his attacks. And we even see, you know, Tien pinning his arms behind his back and actually grabbing Tao while he's got him pinned and just starts walking him just calmly towards the edge of the arena. Like you would escort out like a drunk guy from a bar or something like that. Just walking Tao towards the edge. It's hilarious. I love Tao getting embarrassed like that. This is awesome. And just as Tao is at the edge of the arena, he disconnects his hand, his mechanical hand from his wrist, releasing the hold that Tian has on him, and then reveals a blade out of his arm and slashes at Tian, cutting him across the chest. 
Yeah, and at this point, um, announcer man, he even calls the match at this point. Weapons are not allowed in the World Martial Arts Tournament, and Tao just screams at him, this isn't about the match, I'm going to kill you. And so we're playing for keeps at this point, and TN sitting there bearing that that deep like cut across his chest. He's pissed. This is the maddest I've seen TN in a minute. Yeah, this is great. And Tien, as Tao comes in for another attack, Tien catches the blade, snaps it right off, breaking it. And in response, Tao jumps back, rips off his other hand and presents what what is basically a a fucking arm gun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you missed the most important uh, thing that happened before all of this. Um, Tien takes his shirt off before he does all of that. Okay. <laughs> so he's serious, but yes, he rips off his other arm and it's revealed that we've got a, um, we've got an arm cannon and this arm cannon, it's no ordinary arm cannon. It is the super Dodon Ray cannon thing. And so, yeah, it's a super lethal beam that will actually track its target. So Tien cannot dodge this attack. And Tien has no intent of nope. dodging this attack. He just full on says, bring it, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And so we get flexing pecs and just ego out the wazoo as the ray is fired. Tien screams and we get a fiery explosion. And to probably nobody's surprise, uh, except for Tao's, Tien is left standing pretty much unharmed. And I actually kind of love the way this fight ends. Because as soon as that attack is over, Tien just quickly dashes across the ring and just fells Tao in one single hit. It's just, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Tao, even with his weapons and underhanded tactics, was completely outmatched by this new and improved Tien. Uh, And, I mean, he, he basically got completely schooled and publicly shamed for his underhanded tactics so this is kind of putting i would almost say putting a nice little bow on tn's redemption arc as he kind of redeems himself and shows his old school and his old teachers that you don't have to be underhanded to succeed in the martial arts world and to put i guess insult to injury after defeating Mercenary Tao, Tien picks him up, drapes him over his shoulder, walks over to where Master Shen is sitting, and just plops him over the wall in front of him and tells him to take him and leave. It's just... I I don't know, man. A- after seeing Tien in original Dragon Ball, I'm, I'm a fan of this character. He's got style, and he's got, he's got big cojones. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, to put that in perspective, too, for for anybody who's only ever watched Dragon Ball Z, I mean, Tien's got a couple of cool moments, especially early on in Dragon Ball Z, but he doesn't have he doesn't have much in the way of character growth. He doesn't have story arcs to go through in Dragon Ball Z. Right. But in Dragon Ball, he's got pretty much nothing but character arcs to go through. Yeah. And he's got, you know, he's got his own, I guess, like background that he needs to deal with once he gets on the right track he's got a whole host of villains that he had trained under now he needs to either you know forgive them or do something and just seeing him kind of wrap up his own story i mean 
Bravo. What a great character to kind of watch go through this progression. It's very satisfying as the audience. Absolutely. And I think as we kind of wrap up TN's story, it brings us to the next match, which is going to be Goku versus anonymous as the woman is calling herself yes anonymous is definitely not chi chi goku doesn't know that and um <laughs> i can only think at this point that chi chi's doing it just to screw with goku yeah i mean she's she's obviously angry uh because goku did not recognize her and she she won't give him the full details um I, I wanted to ask before, I, I think this mostly takes us to the tail end of the episode, but I wanted to ask you, Dayton, what did you think about Chi-Chi making it to the final eight in this world martial arts tournament? Uh, I, I don't have a problem with it. She trained under, you know, the Ox King, and we saw from a very young age that she is ridiculously strong. She has Ox strength, so, I mean, checks out to me, and... I guess lucky for her or plot armor or whatever you want to say, she didn't have to fight any of the other main characters. So she had her own bracket that she could go through. And as far as I'm concerned, she's stronger than every rando I could think of at that, that tournament. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I think, and I'm, I'm glad they did this because I like seeing strong female characters in dragon ball because it's, it's pretty few and far between, but for anybody who knows what happens to Chi Chi in the future, it's kind of a bummer. She gets the the mom card and she gets shafted pretty hard. So I wish they would have kept this Chi-Chi, who is a pretty badass fighter, to make it to the final eight in the World Martial Arts Tournament. And that is not what we get in the future. No, it's, I mean, uh, she's a character written with one purpose. And uh, admittedly, I feel like they kind of told us that from a very early point with this character. So it's... It's disappointing, but at the same time, there there are other characters who I feel like could have been badass female fighters that they just haven't taken the time to do. Yeah, they they rectify it a little bit in Dragon Ball Super, but Dragon Ball has never been great with its female characters, unfortunately. No, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, well, we're going to get to the good stuff here because uh, we've got some more Chi-Chi in this next episode, which is 137, Son Goku's Marriage. And, yeah. Uh, so Goku and this woman he doesn't recognize face off in the ring, and they begin to exchange blows. But as Goku continues to ask questions about her identity, she just keeps getting more and more and more angry. Yeah, and... Uh... I took down a few pieces of the dialogue. Um, if only because Goku is literally asking this woman, have I met you before? And she's just screaming at him. Of course you have. <laughs> and then she literally just goes on the offensive, starts attacking him. And Goku's just dodging. He's not even fighting back at this point. He's simply dodging. And is like, he literally asks her, what promise did I break? Cause she's like, Oh, you broke a promise. Uh, and she finally, after like chasing him around the ring, she screams at him, you promised to marry me. You know, the, the funniest part about this episode is that if you go back, rewatch it, the animation during their fight is actually not that bad. A lot of the techniques are fully animated. We get to see full punches, blocks and dodges. 
it's a really weird episode to be animated very well, but they did take the time to do it at least to some degree. It's choreographed. I'm glad. Yeah, it, it's it's fun to watch because it's again, it's fun to see Chi Chi as a fighter. Uh, it's fun to see her. I mean, she's fighting one of the strongest fucking people on the planet. So, of course, she's not winning the fight, but you can tell that she is definitely competent. Yeah, it's Goku, if anything, is having to keep his guard up. But at the same time, Goku's more focused on trying to figure out why she's mad rather than actually winning the fight. And Goku just continues to push the issue until, um, yeah, he asks Krillin, what does it mean to be a bride? (laughs) And I forgot about this, but Goku thought that that was some form of food. And they did mention it when he agreed at that point, way back when he was a little kid. And they bring it all the way back around here. Goku still has no idea what he agreed to. And actually, you'd probably be able to say it a little bit better than me, but I like the way that this sort of plays out after this point. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that this is a a phenomenal circle back to Goku's childhood and the promise that he made to Chi-Chi. And I mean, the even in the middle of the fight, Chi-Chi says that I'll tell you my name if you beat me. And... There's there's a brief little beat where everybody else is wondering, like, who is this girl? And Oolong is like, oh, I know who this girl is. Yeah. Oolong and, remembers women, I'm sure. Oh, he's he's got his eyes on certain assets. That's yeah, for sure. he's a pig. <laughs> and so Goku's like, well, OK, if all I have to do is beat you to learn your name, he from across the ring punches into midair and with what can only be described as a wind punch or a key punch knocks Chi Chi clean out of the ring into the brick wall, almost knocking her cleanly unconscious. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a violent moment that I didn't expect to happen like that. I also feel like there's probably more delicate ways to go about doing something like that, but you know, the fights won. she's actually okay. She's a tough cookie. And she finally reveals her her name to Goku and Goku is just completely flabbergasted. He basically did not recognize her at all with how much older she's also gotten. Right. Like she's taller. She's a woman at this point rather than a girl or a teenager. And yeah, Goku remembers his promise, though. And he tells her that he thought a bride was something to eat. And we get to see Chi Chi kind of getting heartbroken. Yeah, it's this is, again, kind of another tender moment here where Chi Chi is upset because she she, I mean, clearly over all this time, all these years has kind of wanted to marry Goku and has still felt strongly for him. And Goku once more showing that he's. This is this is no longer the young kid that we've been following this entire time because he goes up to Chi-Chi and kind of grasping onto her says, sometimes my brain doesn't know what my mouth is saying. Good thing my heart does. Will you marry me? And just full on ask her to marry him right in that moment. And uh, I mean, Chi-Chi's ecstatic. Uh, this is exactly what she wanted. and. I mean, presumably, what? Why she's even here fighting in the tournament? Uh, it's it's 
really great. It's kind of sweet and touching until, I don't know, when you realize how little time they've actually spent together. I mean, everyone's super happy for them, except for Krillin, who's reasonably showing concern over his friend's decisions, right? It's, it's, it's nuts, but you know what? Goku lives and dies by his gut, so it's, you just got to go with it. And I... I very much agree with you. Like there's a part of me that loves this tender moment and loves the way that Goku responds to Chi Chi's despair and disappointment uh, and tries to correct the situation. But Goku and Chi Chi haven't spent a lot of time together. I mean, Goku saying, I know what my heart wants is, is even a little bit of a weird thing to say here because he doesn't even know what being married is. He doesn't know. He, he's never been in a romantic relationship. Like it's, it's just a little strange. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, I don't know. It's a shotgun wedding of some variety, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it sort of works out also. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, everything, I know how everything works out in the future and I don't know if, well, it's mostly good. They get, they have some kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think DB's DBZ abridged does it all the best. So we'll just go with their interpretation. <laughs> I mean, there's even a moment where Goku is like, why are you grabbing me as Chi Chi's like hanging on his arm? <laughs> like he doesn't understand this sort of affection at all. <laughs> uh, so they, they go back inside as, you know, engaged people. And we do get kind of a, a funny scene with Chi Chi telling Yamcha that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm off the table, basically. You know, I know how you had such a big crush on me, which is a reference to way back when Yamcha had kind of flirted with her to try and get what he wanted. <laughs> and it, the attention to detail, once again, it's really good. They, you can tell that Toriyama, he's, he's at least thought about this series very, very closely. Yeah, it was another good throwback. I almost completely forgot about that scene until they were kind of giving us a little flashback of it. So I was glad that they tied all that back into the story here. Uh, but as the nuptials of this Ooh. tournament kind of finish up, uh, I think it moves on to our next pair up, which is going to be our bald-headed master Krillin versus Piccolo Jr. And I do like that just before the match begins, as the fighters are getting ready to take the stage, Goku actually stops Krillin and warns him that his opponent is going to be trouble and to be ready. So it's it's Goku really showing concern for his friend and telling him to get his guard up, right? But it's also, at the same time, it's Goku kind of showing Krillin the respect of another fighter. It's, you know, keep your guard up. You've got this, get in there. And it's a small exchange, but I, I really do enjoy it. And it kind of shows the, the bond that these two have. This is in a smaller way. This is kind of doing what you were talking about when Goku first saw Piccolo and was like, Hey guys, don't say anything like <laughs> keep your mouth shut. Uh, but this is Goku being like, Hey, this could now get serious. Krillin's, life and well-being is on the line so he's he's got to say something to who is you know probably his best and closest friend yeah and so with 
the with Krillin kind of warned and taking this fight seriously, we see the two enter the arena and we get the typical, you know, exchange the pleasantries. Let's talk some smat. Uh, you can't win, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they prepare for battle and we see Krillin kind of hunker down and we see him channeling key energy into both of his hands. And, you know, this is pretty commonplace in later Dragon Ball. But at this point, this is pretty badass. We see dual key blasts erupt from either hand and we see him controlling him with precision. He's able to control both of these key blasts at the same time. It's really rad. And this is the first time we've seen something. We've seen Goku control the Kamehameha wave like that, but this is Krillin doing two key blasts at once with precision control. Love it. This is super cool. I very much agree. I actually had to go online to find the name of this technique, and it was hard to track down. It has a very long Japanese name, but the English <laughs> translation is apparently just double chasing energy bullet. And it's cool. It's like you said, Dayton, it's super cool to see something different done with key blasts. We've only really seen up to this point the Kamehameha, the Dodon Ray the tri-beam that might be it i mean there's a few various big explosions right like a lot of the same thing yeah exactly um so it's pretty sparse in terms of actual key blast techniques up to this point yeah and we see you know piccolo dodges the attack and then um we see krillin chasing piccolo using his control and piccolo actually uses his own little laser key blasts to explode both of Krillin's shots, right? Well, during the the smoke and the chaos from the detonation, we see Krillin actually kind of sneaking through and striking a strong blow in on Piccolo. And it's kind of neat. You're seeing that, you know, what Krillin's kind of known for. It's being a clever fighter. It's not being the strongest. It's about trying to figure out a way to win against a, a superior opponent. And even though... Piccolo really isn't damaged by this attack. It's showing that Krillin can actually stand in his own two feet. Yeah, I really like getting to see a confident Krillin here. It's it's really interesting and not something that we get to see very often. And eventually we see Piccolo kind of escape flying in the air and Krillin leaps up after him and gets knocked out towards the edge of the arena. Uh, looks like he's going to fall outside of it, in fact. And in a moment of surprise to everyone, Krillin begins to float and hover in the air. And I do love this because this is a reflection of the time that he spent with Tien and Chaozu, who also have this ability. And I love that his time with them he, it paid off. He picked up one of their techniques and it's, it's such a great attention to detail thing. All the time you spend with your various, you know, masters and the people you train with, you're going to adopt some of their, their style. Right. And we see that with say, I don't know, Goku, when he shows up wearing all of Popo's garb and just kind of the, the way he moves. And now we see it with Krillin with the, the new technique he picked up, which is the ability to float. And yeah, at this point, Piccolo decides that this is no average little bald man, and he's going to kick things up to the next level. Yeah, I, man, this is a lot of fun. As Piccolo decides he's going to power up here, this is, I think we've had a couple of other little power-ups, but this feels like 
more which we something we would see in dragon ball z as we get some some of the uh, he doesn't do so much of a extravagant yelling scene here but this feels like it's kind of leading into our dragon ball z power-ups yeah and that's where they cut that episode and it leads us right into episode 138 the puzzling man shen or hero in our dub version yeah and this kind of continues our fight with krillin and piccolo uh this time piccolo being full powered presumably uh but he does before continuing offer krillin a chance to withdraw from the match but krillin seems confident and tends to go on the offensive here but he's only catching wind as he just kind of punches and kicks into piccolo's cloak who seems easily to be outpacing krillin in this point yeah and you can see piccolo's laughing and just taunting krillin basically with with all these attacks that aren't actually hitting him and we see after i guess quite a bit of this piccolo even throwing his cloak over krillin is kind of an insult piccolo leaps back and then after a little bit more posturing um we see and we love this technique in the future, but this is the first time we've really seen it. We see the stretchy arms happen as Piccolo's arms reach clear across the arena, catching Krillin off guard who dodges just a little bit too slowly, grabbing his leg and dragging Krillin back in for a vicious punch that sends him flying across the arena. This is awesome. I love the stretchy arms. I love getting to see it. We never got to see, I mean, King Piccolo never put off anything like that. So seeing it with piccolo jr is a blast but krillin quickly rebounds from the attack darting right back in towards piccolo piccolo looks off guard but manages to kick krillin up into the air and then follows him up there where krillin is deciding this is my last chance i gotta pull something out real quick and he starts to charge a kamehameha as piccolo gets ready to deliver a punch And the Kamehameha blasts Piccolo right in the face, seemingly. Yeah, and we get that that big, fiery explosion. I will say, I like writing Kamehameha waves when I remember. Um, This one, I like the use of it. I wish the animation would have been a little bit more over the top with it. This felt like, as far as animation quality, I give it like normal key blast level. Kamehamehas are supposed to be special. Keep them special, but I think we're... We're moving beyond that. Um, everybody knows that move now, so it's starting to feel a little bit like a normal key blast. And in this situation, the effects are about the same as a normal key blast. As Piccolo just emerges pretty much unscathed, and we see Krillin just get just double hammer fisted straight down towards the arena floor. Yeah, and I mean. Krillin hits the floor hard, shattering one of the tiles in the arena. And it looks like he's completely down and out for the count. And the as Piccolo kind of comes down to the arena floor thinking, oh, I've, you know, I've basically maimed this guy. He's not going to be able to get up for days. Krillin does get up off of the floor stands and then falls on his butt and says, I'm done. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With no gas left in the tank, Krillin taps out and we actually see Goku and Master Roshi kind of both 
thinking and expressing how impressed they are with Krillin's progress over the last couple of years. And it makes a lot of sense. Krillin was killed by one of Piccolo's henchmen. And here he is kind of going punch for punch for Piccolo, at least to some level. And well, not getting the the floor wiped with him at the very least. I at least like this, like kind of like you're saying as a parallel between the fact that Krillin got killed by Tambourine, a minion of the original King Piccolo, uh, and is now fighting confidently against Piccolo Jr. It's, I would be like, they're kind of treating Piccolo Jr. Like they can't tell that it's Piccolo or some form of Piccolo. So Krillin is, is not afraid here. I'd be very curious to see what Krillin's response would be fighting this guy. If he knew that he was connected to King Piccolo and the minion that killed him. Yeah. And we, we've seen moments of, of Dragon Ball characters having shock and horror after seeing somebody who's done terrible things to them, or I guess most of the time it's killing them. So it, it probably would have played a role. Um, but it's it's nice seeing Krillin actually fight an opponent, go all out, and actually use some unique moves and and not get completely shut down and embarrassed. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good fight. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a fun watch. And I think that kind of takes us into the next pairing as we get to see Yamcha versus the middle-aged man hero. Yeah, and Yamcha is not taking this match seriously at all. The bumbling middle-aged man is you know he's got scrawny little arms he's saying weird things he's just kind of goofy right but we do get a comment from goku where he senses something strange about this mysterious opponent whereas everyone's laughing goku has a kind of a serious look in his eye when he looks at this man yeah which is interesting because as the fight starts hero kind of stumbles attacking towards Yamcha and Yamcha just casually dodges out of the way, not even trying to counterattack. However, Hero's foot just manages to find its way into Yamcha's ribs, making Yamcha kind of double over, unable to catch his breath for a few seconds. Yeah. And we see Yamcha, he's kind of flustered and trying to keep his cool because now he's the one that's being embarrassed. And so at this point, he's going to go on the attack and really turn the fight around. He's kind of getting sick of everyone laughing at him. And we see Yamcha leap into the air with a devastating kick that should end the fight. But once again, this hero character seems to stumble at the exact right time. And Yamcha's crotch lands so pleasantly on Hero's noggin. This is it's very Dragon Ball humor. Uh, I mean, Yamcha is in serious pain as he leaps and hits his own nuts on Hero. Um, this is kind of the moment where things start to turn as Hero's demeanor shifts a little bit and he goes in for an actual attack on Yamcha and Yamcha's kind of like, Oh, Oh, you, you actually are a competent fighter. And Hero's kind of telling him like, you really shouldn't judge someone solely based on their appearance. Yeah. And these two, they're starting to kind of gloat and exchange threatening words. And we see Yamcha 
dropping into a serious stance. And this is where we see, I don't know, Yamcha taking the fight seriously, I guess, but he's just outmatched as far as speed. And we get to see the Wolf Fang Fist just easily being thwarted. Yeah. Hero blocks all of the attacks from Yamcha's signature Wolf Fang Fist with ease. And we're left kind of wondering, like, who the who is this guy? What is going on here? And I think that mostly wraps up the episode. Yeah, that brings us right into episode 139, which is another fierce fight. Goku versus Ten Shinhan. I guess the title means we're done with this fight. So <laughs> but <laughs> they're not get, very subtle. No, we get Yamcha and Hiro continuing their battle despite the episode name. And Yamcha just keeps getting the worst end of each trade. And there's a brief stop in the exchange where Hiro explains that he's an extraterrestrial. Is this another dubism? I probably, I mean, yeah, he basically just says, Hey, I'm an alien, which feels <laughs> weird. Right. Cause I, I think we've even been told that, uh, I mean, demon King Piccolo is called a demon and we know that, uh, he came from, well, we'll get to see the reveal here in a minute, but <laughs> yeah. So we, we hear that it's an extraterrestrial inhabiting a body and I'm very confused. That's actually what my note says. I'm very confused. Um, but yeah, Yamcha's not confused in that he thinks that this is just a distraction, right? This is just Hero trying to get into his head and throw his game off. And Yamcha's going to look through it and just kick everything up even another notch. And begins focusing energy into his hand. And this is where we see a ball of key appear. And this is the spirit ball attack, which is not the spirit bomb attack. That's different. Those are easily confused, especially because <laughs> especially the first spirit bomb looks very much like the spirit ball. But uh, this is basically just a key ball that Yamcha flings at Hiro. Uh, it's kind of zips past Hero as he dodges out of the way. And again, we're getting to see these cool key attacks because this one... Has, Yamcha has almost perfect control over it as he kind of moves two fingers, darting around, bringing the ball back to attack Hiro from multiple different angles. It eventually plunging into the ground, still missing Hiro as he leaps out of the way. And Hiro says like, oh man, that was scary. I almost got hit by that. And Yamcha responds with launching it from beneath the ground, hitting Hiro right upside the chin, thinking that he's got a good KO moment. I love it just because it's it's Yamcha showing experience, cleverness, and a new move. It's growth, right? It's that three years paying off where Yamcha's actually up against a pretty tough opponent, and he does manage to actually land a solid blow using a really creative technique really creatively. I'm a big fan of it, unfortunately, kind of like you were alluding to. Um, Hero emerges from this attack pretty much unscathed, and... This fight wraps up right here where Hero quickly recovers and launches a vicious counter blow that knocks Yamcha clear from the arena. Yeah, I mean, this is it's almost quick. It's almost unceremonious. It's it's interesting. We did get to see some cool techniques from Yamcha again, like you said, with the spirit ball and everything. Uh, it's 
I mean, the the interesting part is that Yamcha kind of just goes over to Hiro and he's like, hey, you know, you are a great fighter. I'd love to, I think I could definitely pick up a few things from you. And they just kind of chat it out. Yeah, Yamcha's accepting this defeat with grace. And it's maybe not something that we would have seen from Yamcha three or more years ago. The, I guess the egotistical, to some degree anyway, he desired that fame. He desired to be the best, really. He was competing with Goku at one point pretty ferociously, but now we're seeing him kind of calm down and kind of accept the way that things are. Yeah, and as these guys are wrapping up their conversation, we get the the audience gets the realization from Goku internally that Hiro is in fact Kami, the guardian of Earth. Yeah, and it's it's Kami, I guess, taking control of somebody's body. This seems kind of evil, isn't it? Is, doesn't that seem kind of evil? It seems a little immoral at the very <laughs> least. He's, you know, taking this guy's body for a ride, but tying back to the extraterrestrial comment here it's it's obviously kami giving a a nod to the fact that he and piccolo are namekians but i am pretty sure that that's a dubism i don't think that they revealed that in dragon ball i think that it gets revealed in dragon ball z yeah sometimes it feels that way where it feels a little bit too on the nose from what I had remembered because I had seen like a smattering of episodes when I was like seven or something, but I don't remember any of them. So it it makes sense if it's a dubism to me, but yeah, we we kind of move on from there though into the next match that's about to begin, which is Goku and Tien Shinhan. And they both front flip into the ring, which is kind of neat. Yeah, and I mean, the fight between Goku and Tien last tournament in the 22nd Tenkaichi Budokai or World Martial Arts Tournament was a spectacle to behold. So I think everybody knows going into this fight that this is going to be awesome. Yeah, and as close as the fight was last time, Tien's pretty much had his mind set on beating Goku and cementing that victory, that number one spot, probably since the last time they had fought. So this is kind of the the culmination of all of his training paying off right here. He's going to put everything on the table. This is his final match. Yeah, yeah. This is the one that matters for Tien the most. And so the fight starts off with a flurry of blows from Tien with Goku just kind of dodging the attacks. They leap into the air. Tien with a kind of single-handed key blast, again, getting to see more key techniques that Goku pretty easily deflects there's an exchange of blows in midair and then goku and tien start to move so fast it appears as if they are invisible to both us as the audience and the actual audience sitting in the crowd uh and as they come out of this almost super speed technique they we get to see them clashing hands as they both grabbed onto each other and they're just kind of wrestling each other in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And so far the battle seems like it's somewhat even, right? They're kind of exchanging blow for blow, but we get this moment with master Roshi who kind of explains that Goku's on a whole different level. 
And while we see Tien starting to kind of sweat from all the effort he's putting into the fight, Goku is so efficient with his movements that he looks like he's hardly breaking a sweat. And remember, this is something that Goku was working on when he first went to Kami to train. It was all about efficiency. It was all about wasted movement and energy. And we're kind of seeing that come into effect right here. Yeah, this is this is good. This is interesting. We get to see the master kind of studying the fight, understanding his students. And there's, I mean, it, it continues with multiple after image dodges, multiple different techniques and attacks. I want to say too, the animation, especially for this, this sequence is stunning. It, you can tell they put their a game animators on this scene as we kind of wrap up the episode, uh, pretty much mid fight. You know, it's funny because I like a couple parts of this scene, but I also don't like a lot of parts in this scene. There's a mm. lot of blurry fists that happen back and forth at each other. And then for me, I laughed even harder after seeing some blurry fists where they just removed them and just played the sound effects. So I definitely have some critiques of the first part of this fight. I think the next episode is much better as far as animation quality. I'm not impressed with the, the beginning of this fight or the tail end of this episode. That's really funny. I think this is going to be one of the the points where you and I disagree on this a little bit, Dayton, because I actually have in my notes directly at the end of this episode that the animation for this part of the fight was really good. And the very first note I have for the next episode is the animation immediately took a step backwards. <laughs> yeah, I I yeah, we're going to disagree here because I I don't know. I just laughed once. I was just like, well, there's a lot of blurry arms. I was like, oh, they're just not even there. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so I think, I think there might be a little bit of both of us being right and wrong here. And I'm, what mm. I'm, what I'm going to put that or to put my finger on that. I think that I wasn't paying as much attention to the attacks and like the, the speed lines and the blurry fists. I was paying a little bit more attention to like how dynamic the shot looked and how their character models looked and their character models at the end of this episode looked excellent. The character models in the start of the next episode, at least to me, mm. I think took a step backwards. They have a much more like the character models at the end of this episode are they look like first era Dragon Ball Z character models. They have much harder lines, sharper edges. And then in the next episode, it feels more like what we've kind of come to expect from Dragon Ball, where everything's mm -hmm. a little bit softer and rounder looking. And I, I think I just have a preference for the harder edges. Well, I do think that there were some stunning shots where there's pauses and you see them standing across from each other and the crowd in the background and, I do think that there are some picture moments. It's kind of like that that one Dragon Ball picture that's kind of the poster picture for Dragon Ball, right? It kind of almost happens randomly in the show, but it's one of the most iconic pictures of Goku, right? And so I do feel like maybe there was some of that happening. Um, I'm not saying the entire fight was bad, but I do feel like as far as choreography goes, I was not blown away at all by this one. Yeah, that's fair. I'll I'll give you that for sure. Now, but time I for me to make my argument. Yeah, episode yeah, 140, true strength. And we see the duel kind of continuing to rage on. And Goku delivers a headbutt to Tien's chest, and Tien delivers a headbutt to Goku's head. 
And there's some weird holding technique from Goku that looks like he's doing the wheelbarrow with Tien. I don't know. I'm having a good time at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is this is interesting. They kind of exchange grapple holds. Uh, they leap into the air. Uh, Goku gets knocked nearly out of bounds. And yeah, just kind of begins spinning rapidly to halt his momentum, which is interesting. Uh, Tien then kind of claims that he believes he's faster than Goku. Uh, and but Goku this cracked of... me up. This cracked me up. <laughs> Did you We're... see what was coming here? <laughs> Where he talks about how fast he is and then runs to the other side of the arena and jumps into the air like a child. <laughs> this is oh, great. <laughs> I died laughing. I thought it was so funny. I don't even care. I'm just like, you know what? As silly as this is, it's so silly. It made me laugh. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is great. Can't catch um, me. I'm too fast. <laughs> so with that in mind, Goku strips. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so we get Tien and his realm of speed in the air, and he catches Goku off guard, and Goku's sent just hurling towards the arena. And with both fighters back in the arena, um, Tien seems like he has the upper hand at this point. Goku's actually been knocked back a couple times. And uh, after a brief pause, we see Tien just sweating and breathing heavily, right? It's kind of like what we talked about earlier. Whereas even though Goku's kind of been beaten around, he's still in good shape. And this is where uh, Goku asks um, if he can take off some clothes. And Tien responds, if you're going to lose, you might as well be comfortable. And we get to see more shirts come off. Hey, man, that's the key to power in Dragon Ball. <laughs> Just take off your shirt. You're much stronger. But there's actually a reason for it this time as we get one of the most Dragon Ball reveals in Dragon Ball. Goku's clothes were weighted the whole time. I freaking love it. Thank you, Dragon Ball. Oh, my God. Childhood me is so happy. I will never not love this. I even wrote down some fucking numbers for this because Goku takes off his shirt, wristbands, and boots. And they kind of pause the fight here as Krillin and Yamcha come out. They're like, don't worry about it. We got this. We'll take the clothes. And Krillin goes to grab the boots and he's like, what the fuck have you been wearing this entire time? Are these filled with lead? <laughs> There's even a funny scene where Krillin's like wearing them for a second. He's like stumbling around because they're so heavy. Yeah, and they say that the I had to do some math here because they say each boot weighs 20 kilos, which translates to 44 pounds per boot. Oh, thank and you then... for putting it in American for me. <laughs> hey, man, we got to Google that stuff <laughs> to understand. Uh, and then they say that the the shirt and wristband wristbands together weigh about 100 kilos which is 220 pounds so goku who i believe has been described to have a similar build but to described by uh toriyama himself to have a similar build to bruce lee so which i mean visually doesn't make much sense but goku is probably like let's say five nine 170 pounds goku's wearing 264 pounds of weight I mean, what is that? Almost two Gokus at that point added on to his own body weight. <laughs> well, remember when he was training with Master Roshi with the turtle shell, I believe that turtle shell weighed 40 kilos. So that's what he trained under before. And so he's what quadrupled that weight. That's a 
ton of weight for someone to be wearing around, especially fighting somebody like Tien at such a high level. Yeah. So while Tien believes that he was faster than Goku, we now get to see Goku dart around the ring and jump around. <laughs> yep. And now Goku, uh, you know, he slipped into something a little bit more comfortable. And we kind of get this uh, this scene where Goku's dancing around the arena and spinning around and showing off how quick he is. I, I Honestly, I thought the, the scene went on for a little bit too long. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, you can see that Goku's obviously much faster now. But Tien, he's not. He's not perturbed at all as he's going to go right on the attack and the match kind of continues on at this point. Yeah. This was actually really cool too, because we did also briefly get to see a training montage flashback uh, where we saw Goku kind of like pulling rocks and meditating and fighting Popo. So I, I did like getting to see more of that, but as we kind of dive back into the fight, Tien and Goku exchange blows and there's a moment where, Goku just full on steals Tien's belt and drops his pants. <laughs> yep, we get to see Tien's tidy whities and uh I mean it's it's a Dragon Ball moment, right? It's supposed to show how fast Goku is now, but at the same time we all get a little laugh out of it. Yeah, and Tien says that he's been kind of overly relying on his excellent sight with three eyes and he says if three eyes won't do I'll use 12. And that's kind of the reveal as we end the episode. Yeah. And uh, well, there's another thing that happens oh. and that's Goku is all about it and is going to do the traditional dragon ball trope of letting your opponent do what they want. <laughs> that's an important detail because that's going to go on. I mean, that never stops happening in dragon ball. It's a cornerstone of Saiyans or just dragon ball characters. I'm not sure. Uh, a bit of both. Maybe Saiyans more than the other Dragon Ball characters. <laughs> oh, shit. Was I racist? Um, <laughs> so we're moving into episode 141 for Tien Shinhans. Oh, that kind of reveals what's happening. <laughs> They're not subtle with these title episodes or episode uh, titles. I know. Okay. So anyway, episode 141, Tien begins yelling and flexing, and we see ki flowing all over his body. And we see one TN slowly turn into two and then two into four. And we get to see a multi-form technique known as quadruplication. And we now have four TNs on the battlefield. Yeah. And this is interesting. These four TNs go on the offensive, landing multiple heavy blows on Goku, coordinating their attacks, making it difficult for Goku to respond to four TNs and Goku eventually gets his footing and manages to knock one TN into the others. Uh, and then the four TNs split off saying like, okay, well, if you can handle us all together like that, we're going to divide and conquer here as they kind of move to each corner of the arena, getting ready to blast Goku with key blasts. Yeah, so we've got four copies of Tien in each quarter of the arena, and the combination key attack goes off, and Goku's forced to leap really far into the air, even kind of evading Tien's eyesight for a moment. But Tien eventually is able to, to see Goku hiding somewhere in the clouds with his impressive 12 eyesight. Is that a 12-12 vision or something like that? Um <laughs> Sure. But yeah, we see the Key Blast launch far into the air, and our aerial hero Goku is sent 
hurtling to the ground from the sky. And right now it's looking like TN is in a pretty dominant spot. Yeah, uh, that is until Goku gets up seemingly as if nothing happened. He doesn't seem much worse for wear as he just kind of hops up and says, I think I see the weaknesses in your strategy now. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, at this point, it really feel like feels like Goku sandbagging, right? It's Goku, even when he was laying on the ground, supposedly unconscious, he was like scratching his foot and just kind of laying there and just this man is not even trying. And TN is putting everything out there. There's honestly a great line in here from Master Roshi that I just love as Goku just gets back up and Roshi says, Goku's about as honest as you can get. But when it comes to the laws of physics, he's a wanted man. It's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Sometimes the dubisms are, are perfect. If that's it, if that is what that is. So good. <laughs> uh, so Goku decides to actually make Tien aware of the two weaknesses, right? And that he tells him, don't use the same move again. But Tien being a Dragon Ball character, says, nah, I'm going to take up this challenge. Clones each corner of the arena. We're doing this again. And so we see everything going on repeat. The clones fire their key blasts. Goku leaps into the air. And we see the second wave of key blasts fired. But this is where we see a technique that we haven't seen since the last World Martial Arts Tournament. And that's going to be a solar flare. But this time, it's unleashed by Goku. Yeah. Goku basically says the first weakness in your strategy is that now your eyesight is too good, which is where the solar flare comes in as Goku blinds Tien using the sun to even amplify the technique, uh, blinding all four of the Tien's. Uh, and then he basically says that as a result of dividing into four, it even amplified your first weakness making your sight even a bigger problem and then goku dashes around the ring now being able to take care of each of these tns individually without them responding hitting and kicking punching knocking all four of them out of the arena and further expressing that the four tns had their power divided amongst them and were not as powerful as one TN. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun because there's a lot of like little reveals during this little quick sequence at the, at the end, like the dividing of power being a big weakness. Um, we get to see Goku mention that during the solar flare, he mentions that he doesn't need his eyes to see once again, showing kind of the, I guess you could say maybe the completion or the mastery of the training that he had gone through or strongly alluding to it. Um, and I guess to kind of discuss my big thought that I want to hear your opinions of at the end of this episode, what do you think about Goku having the solar flare at this point? It's a good question. It's interesting, right? Cause we're getting to see all of these characters reveal techniques that they've not used in the past with Krillin and Yamcha having new key blast attacks and Krillin even pulling out the hovering or flying technique at the very least with Krillin 
I mean, Krillin and Yamcha clearly started to understand key and created their own key attacks, even, but they've, they've practiced the Kamehameha. So they've got it. There's kind of a background in key attacks. As far as Krillin getting the hovering technique, like you said, Dayton, Krillin spent time with Tien and Chaozu who have that technique and he clearly picked it up from them. The solar flare for Goku. I mean, the only other person that we've seen use the solar flare is Tien up to this point. Now, Goku did learn the Kamehameha by seeing it once. So he also apparently learned the solar flare by seeing it once. <laughs> See, that's kind of my thought, but we get to go on that journey with Goku where he's firing out little piddly Kamehameha's. He's kind of working on it throughout the show, right? It's He's already kind of figured it out the first time, but he's getting his mastery in. And with the solar flare, we don't get to see that progression. Also, he's been training with Kami this whole time. Was Kami teaching him the solar flare? Was he working on it? Like, I would have liked to have known a little bit about that, but at the, I would have liked to have seen a move taught to him by Kami unveiled at this point, rather than a move by TN. Uh, at the last tournament, it felt a little off to me. I don't mind Goku knowing it, but I would have liked to have seen a more a stronger connection with his previous master versus this move that I saw my friend do at the last tournament I was at. <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree with your points there. I think it would be fun to see Kami's instruction come out in Goku. We definitely, of course, like you've already mentioned, we get to see, Popo's instruction come out in Goku's efficiency in his movements and not running out of breath or anything. I think the thing that I like about this is that it's establishing a trend for Goku in that he is, uh, he's a martial artist. He's a savant. Like he, he can see a technique and he can replicate it. And that's how good he is as a martial artist. I, the other thing that I like about it is that Goku is beating Tien with his own technique. And he's even going so far as to kind of express like, hey, you've got this new technique, but you haven't really thought about all of its nuances and its weaknesses. So I'm going to kind of feed that to you by using your own technique against you. So it has a few pros and cons for this moment, I think. Yeah, it's not the most egregious thing. Like, I'm not I'm not upset about it, considering really what is the technique? It's a, a bright flashing light. It's honestly probably not the most complicated technique to try and work on on your own. Um, so I don't hate it. Uh, actually, I don't mind it that much. I just would have preferred to see more of his results and his training and his unique path versus somebody else's technique. But I'm more or less fine with it. I was just there could. This was an okay option, but I thought there could have been a great option. I I agree with you. I, I could definitely see it being a better option. I I think I'll be curious to hear your opinions as we kind of like move forward mm -hmm. um, and see Goku's training in full as he kind of, because he's going to move on to the final round and we're going to get to see next who's going to be his opponent. I, I will say though, quick note, I love how crazy and weird all of TN's techniques are and how 
outside of the box he is. It's never just a regular key blast. It's always like, all right, I'm going to grow four arms and just do all this weird stuff. I love he's so interesting in the series. I love seeing what he comes up with. That's a really good point. I uh, will go over the next episode, but I want to kind of touch on techniques as a whole as we finish up this part of the arc. Okay, so let's jump into the final episode of this arc, which is episode 142, which is stronger, God versus Demon King Piccolo. I said that weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, these, the formatting for these is not always the best. So, <laughs> so anyway, episode 142, we get uh, a scene with uh, Kami giving Goku kind of some real talk at the beginning of this one. And it felt really offbeat compared to everything that we had seen, especially considering that Kami is Goku's master. And we're getting this conversation about how Goku won't be able to defeat Piccolo Jr. due to his honor holding him back. Because if King Piccolo Jr. dies, Kami dies as well. And Goku can't go through with that. Yeah. And so I actually really like this as a tie-in to what you were saying about Kami taking over this man's body as... Kami's not exactly what you would consider a perfectly moral character. He's got a little bit of gray in there and he's like, I don't have a perfectly moral compass. I'll kill this fucking guy if I want to. Uh, but you, Goku, because you won't want me to die, you're not going to put it your whole heart and soul into trying to kill this monster. Yeah, and Goku even is playing with Kami, emphasizing that there's got to be a way to win without killing him, that there's got to be a better path. It's, I don't know, it's kind of a dark scene, I guess, in some way, especially since Kami is supposed to be like the defender of Earth. He's the epitome of good. And you have Goku, who's trying to preserve life and find a way to save everybody, kind of at odds with each other. It's really fascinating. It's really good. I actually also like Kami expressing he wishes that Popo had never revealed the tidbit to Goku about Piccolo's death also resulting in Kami's death. And there's kind of the, the it kind of alludes to the fact that Popo clearly cares about Kami and doesn't want anything to happen to him. And that's probably why he told Goku about that. Yeah, so they, as far as setting the table for for stakes and how things are going to go, th this little conversation is immensely impactful on everything that's about to unfold. So as far as efficient writing goes, they get full marks on this one. I'm drawn in. I get the drama. I'm emotionally now attached to this because Goku has a stake in this and Kami's going to maybe do something messed up. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm My eyeballs are glued to the screen at this point, which is a good thing. Because that match is about to begin between Hero, or Kami, versus Piccolo Jr. And I am so happy that these two got to get paired up in the order and everything. That It's very well written. I love the way that this arc is written so far. Yes, this is excellent. Because Kami, or God, or the Earth's Guardian, is going to get his chance to try to defeat the evil Piccolo Jr. before our protagonist, Goku. And to start the match off between the two, Hero tells Piccolo his desire to rule the world is simplistic and that 
he was always the weaker half. And this throws Piccolo off his game. He gets angry. He's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And you see that kind of his eyes go wide and he's no longer having fun because up to this point, Piccolo has been toying with people. He's been just knocking people around and brutalizing every opponent. And this opponent seems to be pushing Piccolo onto his back feet. And on top of that, knows more about him than he knows. Yeah. And this kind of turns into a, a battle where these two figures are flying in the air. Piccolo firing a key blast that destroys a giant chunk of the surroundings as Hero kind of dodges out of the way. Uh, and Hero eventually charges directly at Piccolo, which this little sequence I liked a lot because Hero dodges in, Piccolo chops across to meet the advance, and Hero uses either his flying ability or just key power to fully halt his momentum just short of the attack in order to deliver his own strike behind Piccolo's. So basically using his charges as a feint, stopping before the or right before the attack would have hit and then moving in behind it it's beautifully done yeah and man this this is a really fun just well animated good choreography this is probably dragon ball at one of its best as far as just a fight goes right and this isn't even the final fight so the fact that we've got this level of animation and care man i'm getting excited <laughs> Yeah, but I love this. We we get kind of the, the fighting was kind of in the air, but with Piccolo knocked towards the arena floor, the fighting kind of commences and picks back up again at the ground level. But this is where Piccolo kind of figures out who his opponent actually is. And I believe they start having a conversation in Namekian at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, they... It basically sounds like, um, I, I mean, they kind of modify their voices in the dub to make it clear that they're speaking a different language, but they're to us, they're still speaking in English such that the audience can understand. Um, but they, they talk about, um, they're basically expressing like, Hey, I understand that you're Kami, what are you doing taking over that human's body? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of messed up and Piccolo's kind of gloating. And this is where Kami reveals to Piccolo that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win this fight and that he doesn't have a fear of death at this point and that Piccolo's reign is going to come to an end. And Piccolo is losing his marbles over this conversation. And also remember, yeah. Piccolo is only like three or four years old at this point. <laughs> so this kind of culminates in Kami saying, hey, I, while I'm willing to put my life on the line here, I think the humans have actually shown me a way that I can defeat you, Piccolo, and still survive to see another day. And Kami pulls out a tiny little ceramic jar with a stopper on it and with a symbol or a demon seal on the front of it. And after setting this on the ground, we see 
Hiro or Kami begin casting the evil containment wave. Yeah, and even though Piccolo Jr. is more or less his own independent being, even even just having all the experiences kind of poured into his DNA, he is horrified by this technique. He remembers this technique through whatever process Namekians pass on memories through. And we see something really interesting happen this time, though, is that Piccolo is kind of, in a weird way, ready for it. And Piccolo begins hijacking the evil containment wave, and we see it kind of going back towards Kami as he's being overpowered. Yeah, and he even goes so far as to call this the evil containment wave reverse as he quite literally pushes this wave of key back at Kami and we get to see Kami's form begin to warp and shift as if it's being sucked into this container but Kami releases Hero's physical body in order to not let this human get trapped in the bottle as well However, Kami's body and essence still gets sucked into the bottle as Piccolo closes the bottle. And I don't have it in my notes, but I, if I remember right, he eats the bottle, doesn't he? He might eat the bottle. I actually don't remember if he eats it or not, but he ate the Dragon Balls before, so I wouldn't put it past him. But at this point, the match is over and... Kami is at this point pretty much defeated. And if I was reading the tea leaves right, Kami is probably far more powerful than Goku, or at least that's what was kind of alluded to. Like he was having Popo train Goku. Things yeah. are looking bad. And Goku's face, it reflects that. Goku is not ready for, for what happened. Yeah, and I mean this isn't this isn't Dragon Ball Z abridged, so the pecking order here is a little bit different where we kind of get the impression that Popo is beneath Kami in terms of uh, I mean in terms of rank in terms of power uh but we haven't quite gotten to see Goku unleash his full power. So we're not exactly sure what he's capable of, but Kami clearly didn't have confidence in Goku's ability to handle this version of Piccolo. And now Kami's out of the fight. So uh, while we don't really get to see the full resolution to this in this episode, and we're kind of cutting this part of our coverage of this arc here, we kind of, it looks like the final round for this tournament is going to be Goku versus Piccolo Jr. Yeah, and I mean, I've got to say, as far as setting the table and getting me excited for the second half, oh my gosh, this was a, a really fun dozen or so episodes that we just went through. I Every World Martial Arts Tournament has been absolutely fantastic, and so far, this one, I mean, they're hyping me up. We'll We'll see if it pays off, but so far, I've had a really fun watch. I loved seeing Yamcha and Krillin and Tien all showing off new moves. I love seeing Goku kind of mature a little bit, and he's he's exhibiting 
I don't know, traits that you could say are somewhat of a master, right? Like he's able to, to calmly see through, um, bad situations. He's able to read techniques and fighting ability of others. Like no one else really can. He's able to see things that no one else is able to see. And so everybody's kind of got their own different path of progression that they've all gone down and we've got to see it all in full display. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a completely different Goku. Like he still has some of the whimsy and charm of our young child Goku, but he's much more confident, much more capable and matured a little bit. And I think what you were talking about in terms of the tournaments and how exciting they are to watch throughout the original Dragon Ball. I feel like it comes down to the fact that the Dragon Ball tournaments aren't generally about the fighting. I feel like it's more about the the narrative that is kind of intertwined into this tournament format, like the the first tournament where it's all about Goku's growth and if is he going to win the tournament and feel like he's the top dog or is Master Roshi going to be able to stop him and keep him excited about improving as a fighter the next tournament where it's it's about kind of saving Tien as a person and showing him that the crane school is kind of corrupt and then this tournament where We've got the reincarnation of the Demon King Piccolo who wants revenge on Goku and also wants to prove himself and take over the world. So, I mean, compare that to the tournaments that we get in Dragon Ball Super where there's... Eh, the, the narrative line through is pretty thin through most of those. I also do think that it's it's interesting because in the first two tournaments, Goku's goal was pretty much to win them, right? And at this tournament, his goal is to defeat Piccolo. I do think it's interesting that the previous two tournaments he lost, but he might win this tournament because if he loses, mankind is doomed, even though that's not necessarily his goal. So the one tournament he wasn't trying to win, he might actually end up winning. Yeah, and I I mean I think it's it's probably still important to him to win this tournament at least on some level, but that's not the primary focus, right? I think it's kind of what you're getting at is that mm. Piccolo and Piccolo's presence here is is more important than winning the tournament. But it's kind of nice to win the tournament too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're, you're going to take it if it's there. Yeah, and I I, I mean we're we're at the tail end of Dragon Ball. We've got maybe 10 or 11 episodes left, and that's what we're going to cover in our next episode of Instant Transmission. But this is a perfect narrative through line once more of Goku took second place in the first tournament, took second place in the second tournament that he participated in. And in this one, he's going into the finals with both the tournament champion title on the line as well as potentially the entire fate of the planet earth i mean i guess that's true this is the first tournament with the stakes being this high the previous ones it was mostly pride this is everything's on the line you have to win this you don't have a choice 
Yeah. And he doesn't even have, he has nobody to pick up the slack if he fails. I mean, you could maybe look to Tien, Yamcha, Krillin to kind of jump in there, but it's already been proven that they are not on Goku's level. Yeah, they've been uh they've been put into the measuring stick category at this point. So if Goku can't do it, no one no one else that we know of is even near his level. I mean, Kami's gone at this point. It's up to Mr. Popo to save the world. <laughs> I want to see that fan fiction. <laughs> I don't mind it. I don't hate it. I I'm down for it. <laughs> I I did want to circle back to briefly about the technique conversation because Throughout this arc in particular, we get to see a number of new techniques introduced with the chasing bullet that Krillin uses, the spirit ball that Yamcha uses, uh, the multi-form technique that Tien uses. Almost all of them bring a new technique to the table. Even Goku brings a new old technique to the table with the solar flare. It's progress. Uh, yeah, it's something. But I... I'm a little bit torn because I love that they're using new techniques. I love that key blasts are becoming new and diversified and more exciting and interesting at the same time, especially once we get into Dragon Ball Z, even these like signature moves like the spirit ball and the chasing balls and all that. In the end, they kind of all come down to they're just different key blasts. And kind of like you said, Dayton, We've even seen Goku do some of the stuff that Krillin was doing with his key blasts already and <laughs> yeah. just kind of like turned the Kamehameha in a different direction. <laughs> uh, I mean, to some degree, I don't mind some of the techniques kind of being left in the wind as they become, you know, inefficient and and you have better techniques that just you know, replace them. That's and part of it, too, is just showing the ingenuity of characters, right? Like it's this is a new technique I'm working on. I'm going to bring it out here. And maybe maybe that should have involved into something more interesting after that. But I mean, you're right. A lot of these techniques just become the same blasts or beams or whatever, or just completely discarded. I don't mind Krillin's double controllable key blast thing because he does eventually get the destructo disc and he is able to control that. So there is. And that is a unique technique to him, mostly. Yeah, and that's a good point. It does kind of lead into other techniques. He actually, I mean, even his uh, later, we'll see the the scatter bullet technique from him, which I, gosh, I only think we get to see once, but is kind of a branch off of his double changing direction key blast. So it's, I mean, it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. I I like to get to see the the different techniques. I, it'll be fun to see, I, I think, the the next fight and see the techniques that Piccolo and Goku kind of bring to the table here. Yeah, because these are, these are the big boys at this point. This is the, the match we've all been waiting for. All the appetizers are gone. We're here for the main course. And Piccolo Jr. has already shown that his technique bag is a little bit different than, I guess, Piccolo Sr.? Yeah, yeah, the, I mean, the stretchy arms, I mean, the eye... I think that's all we've really seen, but I don't remember stretchy arms on the old man. Yeah, we, we did get to see him fire key blast from his eyes. We got to see him fire, like, big single-handed key blasts once or twice. Uh, 
we saw King Piccolo use some key blasts. Um, most of them smaller in nature. I think he did partially blow up a city at one point too. So there's some variation there, I guess. Yeah, it's some, but it's. I mean, I'm looking forward to it because it's. This is gonna wrap everything up. This is the the climax of the Dragon Ball series coming up in the next episode of Instant Transmission. So there's there's a lot riding on the line here. I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. Let's see if they can bring it home. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the the next set of episodes as we see Goku and Piccolo duke it out. I I think currently watching this uh watching through these fights again in this tournament these are some of the better fights I would say in the original Dragon Ball in terms of revealing new techniques. Uh I think the animation is pretty much solid for almost all of these fights and I mean, just kind of surprising us with with plot points, with different twists and turns and revealing those techniques and the training to us. I think they they do a great job with this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's at this point, the World Martial Arts Tournament, after two fantastic ones, it's you've got to live up to it. And they're they're living up to it here. It's funny because I don't know. And we're not done with this one, so I can't say anything just yet. But if I had to rank all three of these in an order, it'd be tough for me. There's probably different fights that I would have to pick out of each tournament and say, I like this one for this reason better than this fight. Because different fights have had different emotional impact, right? Um, I mean, gosh, TN's storyline in the last tournament was so just impactful to his character and his development. He was kind of the all-star of that one. This one... I guess the all-star is is once again Goku in a major way because we we all know what it's building towards, right? Um, and maybe even in the first tournament, you could say the all-star was Master Roshi. It was kind of his gig to kind of get his students in gear and training and motivated and how he was going to do that. I think I would agree with you there. I think I think you're right. I think Master Roshi, then Tien, and then Goku is kind of the focus. And well. I'm not going to give any spoilers. The <laughs> Don't do it. Not at this point. We've made it this far. <laughs> the, um, the interesting point there is that Master Roshi, we get to see him, I mean, honestly, fight for the, the first time in the, the 21st Tenkaichi Budokai. So getting to see him really reveal a lot of his repertoire of techniques is is exciting and engaging similar for tn tn reveals most of his stuff i mean all of his combat prowess is revealed for the first time in the 22nd tenkaichi budokai uh this one is revealing new training but then also i mean piccolo's while piccolo is the bad guy here there's going to be a heavy focus on piccolo in the next few episodes yeah i mean it's it's the the final showdown it's we're going to see all everything goku's learned we're going to see just how different uh piccolo jr is from from his father whatever i don't know how that relationship works he's a junior so i guess that's his father yeah close enough reincarnation father something like that yeah something like that but it's i mean at this point i'm just i'm i'm excited it, the hype is built up um, with Kami out of the picture, it's pretty much all on Goku. And I like that. He he needs a little pressure in his life. Yeah, I 
I think honestly, that's pretty much all I have to say about this one. I'm pumped to get into the next one, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to think about it. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss about tonight's topic, Dayton? Uh, no, I think I've gotten it all out. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, that's that's my big takeaway from this. The table set. Um, I'm looking forward to what happens next, but I've just I've had a ton of fun so far. Good. I'm glad that you've enjoyed it on your kind of first foray into the original Dragon Ball, because we're going to wrap <laughs> it up next time. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I can't believe we're already getting towards the end here. It just It felt like this would never come, and now I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like it went by in a flash, but mm -hmm. I think that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we cover the last episodes of the original Dragon Ball in the final round of the 23rd Tenkaichi Budokai. Goku's got a big green problem on his hands, and he doesn't have the Earth's Guardian to bail him out if the fight against Piccolo Jr. goes poorly. Oh, jeez. Oh, the bad guys win, don't they? <laughs> Can Goku make Piccolo lose his lunch and free Kami? What awaits Goku and Chi-Chi following the tournament's conclusion? Is the fate of the world really going to be determined by the victor of a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> martial arts tournament? Find out uh, next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. I need to be careful about quoting a bridge from now on. <laughs> Never change. <laughs>